Uh, my name is Emmanuel, and I'm one of the elder candidates here at Providence. And I'm thank you, thankful for the teaching team for having me uh, bring God's word this morning. So there he was, after making a bold declaration, after making a statement that was shocking to those around him. And because of his bold declaration, he's brought before the most powerful person in his kingdom. I'm sure he's probably nervous, probably afraid for doing something, for saying something that was not common in those days. And standing before the king, he tells the king what he wanted to do, what he uh, said, the statement that he made. And the king smiled at him and said, sure, do as you wish. Do as you want to. And the king then gave him the opportunity to wear something that not many people had. In fact, in those days, if you were going to fight a battle, most likely the only person that had armor was the king and maybe the generals. It was a prized item. And so there's the king saying, hey, here's my armor. In fact, the king even puts it on him. We're in a series called Holy Human. Holy Human. And the idea of this series is, the, uh, is that it's, it's, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. We cannot be those who are mature spiritually if we're not attuned to who we are emotionally, if we're not aware to who we are in general. And this comes from the book, I'm going to say it right, Tucker, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Is the clicker? I don't think it's working. Uh, emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a great book. I've been reading it with my CG, and it's been an amazing, amazing book. I want to remind us, guys, uh, if you haven't gotten the book, there's a way to do so. Uh, there are some uh, QR codes up there. You can get the book or ask someone to get you a free book, a free copy. There's also a quiz you can take if you want to figure out if you are emotionally mature or not. Some of us who thought we were mature actually are infants when it comes to maturity. In a few weeks, uh, we'll have Steve Cuss, who will come and share with us about this, about how we can be Christians who are in tune to our emotions, and in so doing, we are following after Jesus. And later on, we have Kelly Gray, who will come and do the same for us. Now, I'm going to be honest. I struggle with being self-aware, and Kelly's like, Amen. I am the worst person when it comes to knowing my own emotions. And part of the reason why is I grew up in Christian circles that taught me, that, that showed me uh, that, hey, if you are an emotional person, you're unstable. If you are a person who gets away like a monk and reflects uh, on your own life and thinking about yourself, you're selfish. That's where I grew up. In fact, it was so bad that when I first met Kelly at university, one of the first things I would tell her when she would confess her, her, her frustration or her, her sadness, I would do what Southern people do, put my hands over her shoulder and say, bless your heart. <laughs> and I would say, it's just your emotions. It's just your feelings. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> Thank you. I needed it. I probably still do. 
And I would tell her, it's just your emotions. It's not true. Now, Kelly being wise and kind and generous and forgiving, she just dismissed me as a 19, 20-year-old brat who was arrogant <laughs> and stuck it out with me. That's where I grew up. And it, it really, it wasn't until I came to Providence where I'm like, emotions are okay. Self-reflection are okay. In fact, one of my first few months here, Katie scheduled a, a getaway, a silent retreat, and I couldn't do it because I had stuff to do, but I'm like, I'm glad I couldn't go. Because being self-aware, put me in a room by myself, you might as well cut me by a thousand cuts. Right? I am not a person who wants to reflect on my own life. It was not attuned to his emotions. Maybe you're in here, and you're like me, and that's true of you as well. The being attuned to your emotions, being attuned to who you are, being self-reflective is in your strong suit. Maybe you're in here and say, you know what, I'm not like you, E. I'm actually attuned to who I am, or at least I think I am. I'm uh, aware of my emotions. Well, let me tell you a quote by Lisa Davis, a social researcher for the University of Arkansas. She says that while many people think that they're self-aware, research says that only 10 to 15% truly are. So even if you think that you have a good handle on who you are emotionally, who you are as a person, the research shows that you might not be. And if you're not, the danger is we're not spiritually mature. I always say, show me, or not always, recently I've been saying, show me a person who's not attuned to their feelings, to their emotions, and I'll show you a person who's not following or doesn't understand Christ fully. Because your emotions are attached to who you are. Amen. And while we associate intellectual knowledge to uh, mean spirituality or, or, or a spiritual person, what we neglect is the God who made our in intellect. The God who made our mind is the same God who made our feelings. In fact, that very same God leans into his feelings. One of my favorite stories growing up when I was younger that made God more personal and more uh, like, I'm like, I get this God. It's found in Exodus 32. Here's Israel. God uh, sends Moses. You know, the whole story, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, here's 10 plagues. And eventually they're sent from Egypt. They get to Mount Sinai and they promise, hey, God, we will be your people. We're going to worship and, and only serve you. And Moses goes up for 40 days. And while in the mountain, the people down below build a golden calf, basically breaking their own allegiance to the Lord. And God tells Moses in Exodus 33, dude, I'm done. I'm done with them. Go down there, see your people. I'm about to wipe them out. Now, what's interesting is we admit that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, unchangeable, without uh, being aroused by anything beyond himself. And yet here, God is being affected by his people. And his emotions are overcoming him. He's not, you might say, thinking straight. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses has to remind you, remember your promise that you made to Abraham. Here's God feeling his emotions. And leaning into them. The same God who made our intellect, the same God who's made our emotions, right. our feelings. So if we're going to be like God, if we're going to be like Christ, we must be attuned to who we are. Which includes how we 
feel. And when we do that, great things happen in our lives, in the lives of those around us. And great things happen to a young man who was self-aware, who was attuned to his own emotion. Last week, Hunter did a great job introducing this series. And we introduced to a man named Saul, King Saul. So Israel, after being delivered from Egypt, they get to the promised land. Uh, They have a period of judges who are ruling for several hundred years. And eventually, uh, they have a king. And the first king is King Saul. And Saul starts off well for the most part. But eventually, you begin to see that because he's unaware of who he is, because he he lacks the discipline of self-reflection, because he's not attuned to his emotions, he begins to speed up. And instead of slowing down and think and reflect, he speeds up. And quickly discover that Saul is not the king that God wants for his people. In 1 Samuel 16, God says to Samuel, the prophet Samuel, I want you to go and find a different king. And so he goes to Bethlehem, to Jesse's house, and there he, he meets uh, Jesse's sons. And from his sons, he finds the youngest son named David. And he anoints him king. In chapter 17, we quickly discover that Israel's uh, enemy, the Philistines, muster an army to go fight against them. And so they go, and, and here's Israel on, on one side, and between them there, there's a valley, and here are the Philistines. And in verse 4, from the Philistine camp comes this great champion, verse 4 tells us. This great warrior. And he comes out, and he begins to insult the Israelites. And he begins to insult their God. And then he says, I challenge anybody from among you. I dare you. Come out here and fight me. If I beat that person, then you guys will be our slaves. And if he beats me, then we'll be your slaves. And not a single person is brave enough to do so. In fact, King Saul, when we first meet him, we are told that he is head and shoulder above the rest. And we know Goliath is is famous for being what? Tall. So who should have fought Goliath? King Saul. (laughs) But he doesn't. This goes on for a period of time, for about 40 days. And eventually a young man shows up, bringing food to his brothers. And he hears this Philistine, this this champion defying God, insulting his God. He says, nah, we're done there. We're done here. Enough of this. He says, I'll do it. I'll fight him. I will accept the challenge. Now, making such a claim is pretty bold. Pretty bold. And so because of that, he's brought before the king to see why or, 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 or what claim is he making. Look at verse 32. David, or David, said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, I, David, will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he's been fighting since he was young. He was trained to fight since he was little. 
In fact, look at his armor. It is decked out. It is the best of the best. And he can carry it, but you're just a young man. You can't do this. You're not able to do this. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I didn't run home. That's what I would have done. Y'all been to the Denver Zoo? Right? Lions and bears and tigers, oh my, right, all there. I didn't run home. What did I do? I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. David's a manly man. (laughs) Who's fought a lion before? Raise your hand. Scott? Okay, 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 just checking. Right, he's going after the lion, going after the bear to rescue a mere sheep. He's got a hundred sheep. It's got a thousand sheep. Why only one? Just let it go. But he'll go and find that one sheep. I'll come back to that point later on. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair. I struck it and killed it. A manly man. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. King Saul, you're all afraid. You're afraid. But I will go and I will fight on behalf of our people and on behalf of our God. Saul agrees. David says, sure. Or Saul says, sure. Go ahead. And look at verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. So here's David before the king. I will go and fight this Philistine. I will go and do what no one else will do. And Saul, after uh, trying to convince him not to do so, finally agrees and says, hey, fine, go do it. Oh, here's my armor. Now, we don't always see it in the English because the the translation uh, doesn't always capture it. But in the Hebrew, it says Saul dresses David. It says it twice. And in the Hebrew, it's emphatic saying, not only is Saul saying, hey, here's my armor, put it on. Saul is saying, David, I'm going to force you to put it on you. Why? That's a great question. Saul's not saying simply, hey, here's protection as you go fight. What Saul is doing is this. Here's my armor. Here's what belongs to me. So when you go and fight Goliath, you're going to go fight under my authority. You're going to fight under my identity. So when they see you out there, they will not think it's you. They will assume it's me fighting this battle. He's saying, David, take my identity. Take who I am. And go out there like me, not like yourself. Verse 39. David fastened a sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. David then begins to try to walk to see if he can fit and make sense of the armor. Why? He's being tempted to go out there like Saul. We live in a culture that says, hey, get on social media, 
drive around, look at someone's house, look at their cars, and try to be like them. Become as they are. Have what they have. Receive and go after what they are able to receive and have. So instead of being like you, be like them. I found myself, I don't have Instagram, but I have Facebook and Twitter, the old stuff now. And every now and then I'll swipe through. Oh, he's on vacation. Oh, they're doing this. Oh, their kids are going to school. Oh, the kids got this grade, right? We're comparing ourselves to each other because I want to be like them. I want to have their identity in the process, not be who God has made me to be. If you're able to, stand up, please, if you're able to. Okay, let's have half of this side sit down. Just half of you guys sit down. Just do it. Maybe a couple more. Uh, a few more. Perfect. Perfect. Christina Harris, writing for San Diego Today, says that those who are sitting, those who are sitting are the ones who are enjoying life while the rest of us, 74 to 79% of us, are looking at them. Man, I want to sit down. <laughs> Man, I want to have what they have. I want their stuff. I want their life. I want their identity. 79% of us are trying to be like someone else. As supposed to be who we are. Y'all can sit down now. And when we do this, what we show, what we're communicating is we don't care about who we are. We don't want to be attuned to what God has given us. We want to be like someone else. The temptation is there constantly. I can go with body image, your intellect, what you do, what you have. It's all over for us to compare and want to be like someone else. And here's Dave with the same temptation. Go out in the identity of the most powerful person in the nation and go out and fight like he would fight. Go out and do what he would do. Go and receive his identity and not be who God has made you to be. Not be who you are. But verse 40, David says to them, or to him rather, the king, I cannot go in these. I'm not used to them. So David took off the king's armor. And in verse 40, it says he takes uh, his uh, shepherd's staff. He goes out, collects uh, five stones from the stream, puts them in his, his shepherd bag, and takes his sling, the, the weapon of a shepherd. And he approaches Goliath. Instead of going as King Saul, instead of going in a great armor, he goes as who God made him to be. Amen. Believe it or not, when Israel asked for a king, it wasn't a problem. Look in Deuteronomy. God told Moses, hey, one day you will want a king. You will wish for a king. And when that happens, I want my king to be a certain kind of king. 
not the king of the other nations, but a different kind of king. And when Saul was chosen, Saul is the king like all the other nations. But Saul failed. He failed. He was too hurried in life. He didn't pause. He wasn't uh, reflective. And then God found David. And what's David's profession? He's the what? Shepherd. A shepherd. The kind of king that God dreamed for his people was not a king like the other nations, but a king who is a shepherd. Now, what's a shepherd do? A shepherd cares for the flock. So when a bear comes after it, a shepherd doesn't run away. He goes after the bear even for that one dumb, stupid sheep because he cares for that sheep. That's the kind of king that God wanted for his people. And so here's David in Saul's, in Saul's tent. He's tempted to be the kind of king that Saul is, like the other nations, to be not who God has made him to be. But David stops, says, you know what? That's not who I am. Let me go as the kind of person that God's made me to be, to be a shepherd. So he goes out. Now, why does David realize this? Why does David stop and refuse the king's armor? Well, back in verse 34 through 37, David is telling the king uh, what he's done and why he should go fight Goliath. And in verse 37, we're told the following. Verse 37. There you go. Verse 37, uh, David says this. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Why does David not receive Saul's armor? Why does David not receive Saul's identity? He remembered who his God was. Amen. He could have gone out there with Saul's armor as Saul's identity. Guess what would have happened? He could have lost. Because the battle belongs to who? God. Instead, he says, I know who my God is. And therefore, I will go as who God's made me to be. Because you could say this. When you discover who God is, when you learn, when you know who God is, you will discover, you will know, you will learn who you are. When you know who God is, in fact, Gregor Nista, I love what he says, he says, when you see how incredible God is, what you learn is not what God is, what you learn is who you are and how small and significant you are compared to God and how you are in need of God to define and to direct your own very life. That's what David realized. And what's awesome about this, it's, it's a cycle. Right? Because when you discover who God is, discover who you are, and the more you know of who you are, the more you know of who God is, because you're made in whose image? God's image. When you discover, when you learn, when you know who God is, you will discover, learn, and know who you are, because you're made in God's image. My favorite all-time movie, hands down, The Lion King. Lion King. I, I love it. Great story. Thank you, Will. However, if it's a Friday night, I get that like homey feeling where I, I, I want to be comforted. I don't watch Lion King. I want to watch Toy Story. Toy Story. If you know what it is, it's about toys come alive. I won't go into it, but watch the movie. It's a great story. <laughs> In Toy Story 2, the second one, it's actually pretty good. Sequels are not really good, but this is actually pretty good. 
What happens is the main character, uh, Woody, a little cowboy toy, gets taken, and he's being tempted to, to reject Andy and to go somewhere else. And the other toys, Buzz Lightyear and uh, the pig and, and Mr. Potato Head, right, they come and rescue him, and they're trying to convince him to come back home, to come back to their owner, to come back to Andy. And Woody says no. And Buzz gets mad at him. But at some point, Woody looks at the bottom of his shoe. And he sees the name written on the bottom of his shoe. There's a backwards in there, intentionally. Andy. Andy. He realized who his owner was. And therefore, he realized who he is. He's Andy's toy. We have an Andy, and it's God. We have an Andy, and it's Jesus. When we realize who he is, we will know we will realize who we are. Apart from that, we'll get confused. We belong to God. We belong to the maker. And God says this, as broken as you are because of sin, you're his image. Right? You don't have God's image in you. God's image is not something that's different from you. You are God's image. As broken as you are because of sin, you're God's child. You're God's child. His son, his daughter. When Christ describes who God is, he's a father who loves you, who cares for you, who wants the best for you. The one who is all in all has affection for you. Look at the world. Seven point something billion people out there. Look at the animals and the plants. God cares for all of them. And guess what? He cares especially for you as his child. God says as broken as you are because of sin, you're royalty. You're his heir. Right, we get caught up with the Kardashians, if that's your thing, or, or, or Drake, or athletes. We want their lives. We want to be like them. God says this, you have more fame than they ever could combine. We are caught up with the royal family. Your lineage of royalty is more established than King Charles. That's what God says about you. That you are his. And because you're his, your identity is not wrapped in what's around you, what you have or don't have. Amen. It's him. Amen. Do you know who your Andy is? Do you know who your Jesus is? Because if we don't, we'll be like someone else or try to be like someone else. In the process, neglect who God's made us to be. Neglect how we feel, how we think. What's interesting about David being a shepherd. In John, Christ says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I've come to live down my life for my sheep. I've come to give them what they're longing for, but can't find anywhere else but in him. 
That's what he offers us, his identity. I love what John Calvin says or describes. He says, when God looks at you, if you are in Christ, doesn't see you, doesn't see your imperfections, doesn't see your failures, your weaknesses, your insecurities, guess what he sees? He sees Christ. And Christ is not insecure. Christ is stable. That's who your God sees when he looks at you. And he loves you dearly, affectionately. So accept who your God is. And when you do, amazing things happen around you. In fact, Tasha Urich, the Harvard Business Review, says, when we see ourselves clearly, we are more confident and more daring and more creative. More confident, more daring, and more creative. When we know who we are, when we know who our God is, I guarantee you, if you have social media, or if you're just driving around, you will be tempted this week to want to be like someone else, to want to have what they have, to be upset about why you're not like them. Here's my challenge for you this week. One short challenge. When that temptation comes, I want you to say to yourself, I know who my God is, and therefore, I know who I am. I know who I am. Therefore, I know who my God is. Say it with me. I know who my God is. I know who I am. I know who I am. Therefore, I know who my God is. Say it to yourself. When that urge comes, remind yourself who your Andy is. Remind yourself who your God is and where your identity comes from. What that means is accepting your emotions, accepting how you feel uh, and what you're going through, and sitting in that, knowing that God is with you in that moment. And as you do that, guess what happens? Other people around us see that and want to be like that. I mentioned how I grew up not wanting to be emotionally aware or have self-reflection, but ever since being here at Providence, I've seen people who I respect and love who are that way, who will cry when they shouldn't be crying. <laughs> I, I just looked at somewhere, okay? I've seen those who value share with me their pains and be vulnerable. And guess what? I've not hated them any more, any less. I've actually appreciated them more. Why? Because they know who they are and they're willing to be vulnerable and sit in their emotions. And guess what? It's freeing them to begin to do the same thing. Not great at it? No. But because they did it, they were a light. Therefore, I can now feel comfortable to do so. I close with this. One day, we will stand before God's throne. And we will see him. And the question I think God will ask us is not, why were you not like this guy or this gal? He won't ask you that. 
Why didn't you feel or do or think or act like them? Instead, I think what he would ask us is, I made you how I made you. Were you how I made you to be? Did you experience life how I made you to do so? Did you feel how I made you to feel? And our answer can be yes. If we discover, if we know who God is, and therefore know who God has made us. And as we know ourselves, we'll know more of who God is. Amen. Let's bow our heads. As the prayer team comes up and the worship team comes up, I want to ask us a couple questions. Maybe you're in here. I'm saying I've heard you talk this morning, Emmanuel. But honestly, I don't know who this God is. I've heard about him. I've been in church. I've encountered Christians. But I want to know him personally. I want to relate with him. He welcomes you as you are. He beckons you. He, he calls you to himself. If you're near and say, you know what, I have not been in tune to, who I, to, to my emotions, my, my feelings, but I want to be. The prayer team is up here. God is not mad at you or upset at you. Whether he loves you and cares for you. All that you are, even if you are, quote, unquote, emotionally unstable, more than likely, he's saying you are on the right path. Because that's who God has made you to be. So I invite you to come up and pray. People up here would love to do so with you. God, you are an emotional God. You are a God who feels. You are a God who is self-aware of who you are. And God, you have made us in your image. You made us like you. Help us. Train us. Lead us to feel. And in the process, Lord, we discover who you are and we know more about ourselves. Where we have failed in the past, your grace, your mercies are sufficient. Every day is a new day. May we live in light of the identity that you have for us as we know more and more of you. All this for your glory and renown. Amen.